Here we go, back with a bang, episode 2, Was England Transformed by the Norman Invasion of 1066? We pretty much all learn in school about the Battle of Hastings, 1066, possible arrows in the eye, that sort of thing. And history seems to have all come together to decide that for England, 1066 is where a lot of important stuff starts. If you think about it, we start naming our kings properly after 1066. William the Conqueror becomes known as William I, but before him, the king was called Edward the Confessor, not Edward I. The Edward I doesn't come until 1272, about 200 years or over 200 years later. 1066 is seen as so important that we start putting numbers after the names of our kings at this date. Probably a bit annoying Fred with the confessor. And incidentally, I've never read any account of him ever confessing anything. Um, but we get this image from history of the Normans invading, conquering, defeating any rebellions that come their way and changing the landscape of England forever. Or did they? Perhaps it's all just a big misunderstanding. And whilst we assume an invading, conquering foreign king would change all before him, perhaps in fact the word transformation and the idea that England changed utterly is taking it a bit too far. This week we've got Sam, we've got Jensen, we've got a debutant, Megna. They've all come with questions, they've all come with knowledge, they've all come to help us find out about how much England actually changed. So get settled, strap yourself in, get your history pants on, and let's learn a little bit more about some history on the History Teacher Podcast, episode two. Hello, I'm Sam. <laughs> and I'm Jensen. And I'm Megna. Fantastic. So, um, what we've decided to do, we've learned from last week, we've got the buzzers so that we can uh, not just randomly interrupt each other, but we've got a buzzer in case we've got something to add to somebody's point or we've got something that we really, really want to say. Um, and I've even got one. Mine's a little boy. But we've also collected our four key bits of information at this time, so that, and we've put them in, in order in case we don't get a chance to say them all, so that we can share our thoughts on uh, how much England actually changed. But we're going to start, like any great historian would, with our line of reasoning. So, Sam, what's your line of reasoning as to how much England actually changed? Uh, my line of reasoning is that because the Norman Conquest is still remembered so vividly today, and it's you know still taught in schools that it, it's a testament to quite how much England changed at the time. Okay, Jensen. Um, I I do, I do agree with the fact that it did change quite a bit. However, I think the specific things he did change were changed massively. And uh, well, I should do. Jack was with us obviously in episode one. He can't be with us today because he had to go do some refereeing. Um, but. Magnificent pleasure for us all. We've got a fantastic replacement in there. What's your line of reasoning there? Um, I think that William did change, but he didn't. He couldn't really change a lot after invading England because he tried to, because he wanted to keep control of a rebellious country. So I don't think he would want to have changed. Uh, in very case, much. in case it caused even further rebellion. Yeah. I see your line of reasoning. Very good. Right. So. Delving into our facts and the things that we've collected, 
Sam, you elected to go first, so what have you found out about how England actually changed after 1066? Indeed. So, uh, one of the most interesting things I found out is how many people emigrated after the Norman Conquest. So apparently quite a lot of people, there's like a mass exodus towards like the year 1070, of the English people, you know, fleeing from England towards Wales, towards Scotland, towards Ireland, towards you know, the Scandinavian countries. Uh, and I think that really just shows quite how much England must have changed for that many people to have made the effort to leave. Because it's a lot harder than now, you know, immigrating. It's still a big choice even today. In fact, I think, I think it's around 250 ships of Englishmen travelled to the Byzantine Empire, which is kind of like uh, modern-day Turkey, just to avoid being under William's rule. And that included nobles uh, and serfs, that kind of thing. So, yeah. That's an unbelievable bit of information. Yeah. That I've never really come across. What's your source? My source yeah. was a thing on Wikipedia that I followed ah, and then Wikipedia. checked out. Oh, you checked it out? Yes. From, from... A quick search through the internet will find you the information that, yes, indeed, there were Anglo-Saxon soldiers fighting over in what is modern-day Turkey in the Byzantine Empire, which shows the impact the Norman Conquest must have had, that these men left everything behind and travelled most of the way across the known world at the time to try to live a new life far away. These were probably Thanes and maybe some minor earls who, who lost everything as a result of the Norman victory and decided that they'd better chance their arms somewhere else. Jensen, what have you found? Um, well, I found that the main, or well, not the main, however, I think the most influential area of his change was actually uh, within the church and his appointment of Lanfranc to Archbishop of Canterbury and how he really uh, tightened up the standards around the church because it, back in that time period that would have been a very people were very devoutly re religious and for him to change their religion and for him to or not change their religion but change how it was ran um, really must have affected their day-to-day -day life because everything trickles down obviously um, and I really think that that change to religion would have had a knock-on effect to a lot of other things possibly to his standing within both the English and the Norman people. But I really think that the religion being altered was massive because of how, heart, how hearty people were for it. That's my buzzer. Um, so we should probably establish that uh, before 1066, there was an archbishop who was called... Eldred and... Oh, Stigand. Stigand, yeah. Eldred was the archbishop of York. Archbishop of Canterbury, Stigand and... He was actually the first magnate, so key powerful person, to submit to William after William had won the Battle of Hastings. He was, uh, and so therefore, William couldn't necessarily punish him straight away, perhaps. And he kept Stigand in his position as Archbishop of Canterbury from 1066 until 1070, which is when he replaced him with Lanfranc and threw him in prison. Stigand, that is. Um, but for those four years, he seemed to have used Stigand um, because everybody, this is something that everybody had in common, everybody was God-fearing and religious. And if you've got the Archbishop of Canterbury as an ally on your side, that's going to help you to control the population massively. But as you rightly say, he brought in Lanfranc from over the sea, over the channel, to come in as Archbishop of Canterbury. And Lanfranc, well, it was in 1070 that the Pope had uh, sent some of his representatives to try to change the English church. You might remember that at the Battle of Hastings, the Pope had lent William his support. None of his banner, did he? Yeah, and now he wanted yeah. payback by 1070, and he wanted the church in England to change, and he thought there were certain things wrong with the English church. Can any of you remember what specific things 
Lam Frank came in to change, what did he get rid of? Uh, well, I, I did a bit of uh, following up on this oh, actually, <laughs> and uh, he he so he banned the marriage of priests outright. He complete, I think. Well, I think it was outright. He completely just uh, prohibited their marriage. Um, he banned things such as uh, simony, which was selling positions within the church, nepotism, which I believe was giving peti- uh, giving petitions to family members instead of those who were best qualified. Or friends, but yeah. Uh, or friends. Um, and finally, well, not finally, however, this is the last thing I have, um, pluralism, which was holding more than one position within the ter- church, which I believe Stigand. Was Stigand not yeah, guilty did. of this? Uh, yeah, he was uh, Bishop of Winchester, I think, and also Archbishop of Canterbury, which the Pope was not happy about. So yeah, there was a lot of thing, a lot of change there. And he also, in, well, does anybody else got anything else? I can't. No, you're looking at me. So it's your job. You're the teacher. You do your job. So I will. And he also introduced <laughs> regular council meetings of the bishops oh. and, the, and the archbishops, which you would call a synod. And he made sure they were communicating more, just so he had more control of it over everything that was going on. And so, Megan, what have you got for us today about how far England changed? Um, I've decided to go for a more of an economic change. Oh, nice. <laughs> we love economics. <laughs> right, go on then, Megan. What have you got? Um, William decreased trade with Scandinavia, which I believe impacted the north, and he increased trade with Normandy. And um, but I don't really understand how that would have affected the Anglo-Saxons. If we rewind a little bit, England had constantly been invaded by the Vikings from Norway and from Denmark, and the pretty much literally because the closest bit of England to Denmark and Norway is the north, that's where they always landed first. The whole of the north was had this uh, term which was called the Dane Law, which seems like it should be law and order and stuff, but it was actually where lots of Danish Norwegian immigrants had actually stayed there from the Viking invasions. The king before Edward, um, Harold Harefoot, he was a Viking, Arthur Canute was a Viking, King Canute before him was a Viking. Going back, there's been a lot of Viking things going on in Great Britain, and they'd all come across and gone to the north first. And those links, those family links, were still there. You can see that in the names of the Thanes and so on from the north. So a lot of trade would go on between Denmark and Norway and England, naturally, to the north. After 1066, when the Vikings have been... Well, they didn't really know it at the time, but they had been defeated and kicked out of England and they would never pose a serious threat, perhaps, to the throne again. That trade link with the north of England to Norway and and Denmark drops off. But trade with Normandy, because the Norman uh, Norman invasion and William's linked with Normandy, trade in the south booms even further than it did before because there's stronger links, there's more people travelling between Normandy and England. So economically, it benefits the South massively compared to the North, which is economically damaged from that, but also perhaps more that William went and killed everybody that he could find in the North (laughs) during the harrowing of the North, which might have been even more. Great question, Megan, and and do do bring these questions if you've got them. And if I can answer them up, I will, and if I can't answer them, I'll edit it out. So brilliant. So we'll go back to the start. Sam, have you got some other piece of information about how far England happened to change? Yes, I have. Oh, great. Wonderful. Um, Yeah, I was also going to mention how William tried to centralise the church, in essence, to gain control over it. So he really tried to diminish the control of York, uh, because, of course, we also have an Archbishop of York, 
and at the time that was the Aldred, um, but eventually tried to centralise it because it was entirely focused around Canterbury. I suppose that's also probably affiliated with trying to remove power from the north and bring it back into the south of England, which would have made him, you know, a lot easier for him to control. And I guess you, you know, you might even further extend that to connect it with um, trying to diminish, you know, connections with uh, Norway and Denmark. I think what he's really trying to do was um, really decimate like opinions of Norway and Denmark and just, you know, completely reduce the chances that they could ever be another Norwegian or Danish king on the on the throne of England. Um, so I think that probably contributed because of you know of course all the um, all the Norwegian and Danish uh, sympathisers would have been in the north of England at the time. Yeah, and if you want the, the, the fancy term for it for your essays, and I'm sure you do, um, it, it, it was trying to establish the primacy of Canterbury. Mm. So there was sort of two competing archbishops, and he wanted to <coughs> make sure. Have I just stole, stole the word from you? No, 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 it's fine. It, it was, uh, <laughs> Sam had a bit of a, <clears throat> a, a, a tickle in my throat. Why did you say primacy? No, 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 no. What's no. going on? He, he just... Uh, Is this a big conspiracy? How with it? We, we decided to oust you, sir, from the podcast. All right, then. Well, it's been great, guys. <laughs> I'll see you All right, it's now Jensen's teacher yeah, history podcast. On, I'm off. All right, bye, sir. See you. All right, Jensen, you're now running. That was a joke, Jensen. Go sit you on there. Did train all those years to come out of this. What was I talking about? The primacy of... The primacy. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. So, and obviously it was his position. He was one of William's greatest allies. He wanted to make sure that was the most powerful part of the church. Well, I, I think the whole general of making that, uh, making Canterbury the prime focus upon the church was also replicated with uh, replacing all but one priest, and I think Sam mentioned earlier... Bishop. Oh, bishop and three all abbots. The one bishop yeah. and three abbots uh, were now Norm, Norman Norman men, um, and I think that really, I think that really imposed that you really did have to be truly religious and truly um, one of one of William's uh, allies to actually gain any power mm. um, within within the church, and I I guess that trickles down into the rest of society too. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And I didn't tell you my um, my own line of reasoning. I told you guys before we started recording and then forgot to say it myself, so perhaps I should say it now. But I think that William, clearly the country changed a lot, but I don't think he changed everything, especially if he could take advantage of it. And I, and I, and I could perhaps introduce my fact um, at this point, because one of the things that already existed were sheriffs, we know from our crime and punishment. Hmm. They were called Shireeves before, but they became sheriffs. Um, and... Edward used them, but not to as great an extent as, as William did, because William was often not actually in the country. In fact, um, in a reign lasting 19 years and one month, King William spent only seven years and ten months in England. That's how much he wasn't in England, and how much he really needed to use the sheriffs to make sure what he had commanded actually happened. So you would say he was an... What would you, what's the term? If, uh, well, an absentee monarch. Well, you, you can both do it in harmony. An oh. absentee monarch. Very good. Well done, well, you've got ten points. Damn it. Oh. <laughs> um, so there we go. Um, what was I saying? So in 1067, one of the first things William sent out to the sheriffs was uh, one of his writs, which is where he put his written instruction, which was for a severe geld. So the geld was a tax, basically, which had been raised in the past by previous kings to either pay for an army to try to kick the Vikings out or to pay the Vikings to go away. 
And so England had something which other countries in the world at the time didn't really have, which was an efficient tax system. It's, it's difficult to make everybody pay tax now, when we've got the internet, we've got phones, we've got detectives and all that sort of thing. Then it was even more difficult, yet they had this system to pay for this, the problem of having to fight or pay the Vikings to go away. And William took advantage of that system and the fact that they had sheriffs and the writs to make sure that in 1067 he imposed this severe geld which apparently shocked the whole country. So he, he didn't change the sheriffs, he didn't change the use of writs, and he didn't change the tax system of the geld, but he used it all to his advantage to make England a bit poorer and him and Normandy a little bit richer. And so, Megan, have you got something else for us? Well, he reduced the power of the earls yes. to make um, him like make them more dependent on the king like by uh, making the earldom smaller and reducing the number of wait reducing the number of earldoms like Wessex and Mercia well he didn't reduce the you, what you're saying is such an important did you hear me go yes when you said it did you hear yeah. that yeah. might have picked up on the microphone it's such an important point because when Edward the Confessor was king and I suppose Harold Godwinson as well there were these four major earldoms and three in particular um, Wessex, Mercia and Northumbria and you only needed two of those major earls to gang up on you as king and you were in big big trouble so William was not going to accept that in any way shape or form in, he, the, the term earl I read actually last night became a bit like a ceremonial term that, that did last a little bit longer after the Norman invasion but was eventually replaced by baron and that, that sort of which more of a Norman word to use and he made sure there weren't these huge hills, he brought them down, and where possible, well it was always possible, he made sure that the lands that were owned by the different magnates will use, the powerful people, the tenants-in-chief they call it in, in the Edexcel textbook, he made sure their lands were a bit more spread out, so it was harder for them to organise a rebellion if they ever wanted to turn against their king. What else we got then? We've got anything else we're going to bring to the table about how far England changed? I've got more, if you want more from me. Um, well, I'm going to have to nick this from Sam just to get the ball rolling. Um, right. However, sure he won't mind. And if, and if he does ha happen to go crazy, I can just edit it out. It's, it's <laughs> My mic goes silent for the next few yeah. minutes. <laughs> mm, who said freedom of speech was a thing? Oh, uh, you can say whatever you like. I'll just edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> go on, then. Um, so the point that might link into the the Eldons being split up and, like you said, eventually being renamed, well, not renamed, however, started to be called Barons, is um, the fact that William started to impose the uh, feudalism or the feudal system which uh, really did layer out the the sections in society and it, it it went from king to barons to I think knights and then uh, the bottom layer of this pyramid would have been the peasants um, and that really I, I really believe that that um, set up for how society would evolve for quite a long time because you can even see traces of people still using that class system very adamantly all the way up until so about 100 years ago that that was very vital into who you were that 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 maybe not 100 years ago but certainly for many centuries afterwards you, you, you're right and, and that's another thing that he didn't necessarily transform the social system in, but he used it and changed it to his advantage he made sure everybody below him in the system in a chain owed the person above them 
he that was one of the first things he did when he took over England. He declared the whole of England, except for 25%, which the church was allowed to keep, was his. And that's why you get the term tenant-in-chief um, of the people who are immediately below him. Because if you rent a flat off someone, you're a tenant of the person who owns the flat and you pay them. In the case of William, what he does is he says, all land's mine, and then I give it to the tenants-in-chief to hold on my behalf, who can then divvy it out to the knights who hold it on their behalf, who can then give out some to the peasants who hold it on their behalf, and in turn for getting this land to work, they have to provide military assistance in times of need and sort of tax up the system as well. Yeah. I think something that did change because I know you say oh, how Jensen, we need to practice this you wanted to say something then I'm going to pretend to be talking you use the buzzer okay. da -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da -ba. yes Jensen so I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just feel rude um, that's alright don't feel rude if you're being rude I'll just edit it out <laughs> Mr. Always keeping us here hostage please <laughs> help help <laughs> oh. So one thing that I, well, you say how obviously he didn't just completely vanish, uh, think of it out of nowhere. It was it was here before. It was in England before. Sorry, um, but one thing that he did, I believe, completely remove is the idea of slavery. He did. He completely banned it, which is why you might see in some textbooks the difference between before and after the Norman Conquest, that that layer of society isn't actually there in the, in the, uh, mm. the, the diagrams and the graphics for the feudal system. Yeah, big difference. So have we got any more things that we want to bring to the table? Or... Um, we could talk about how he ensured that Normans percolated at the top of society and the Anglo-Saxons at the bottom. Uh, I read somewhere that apparently the Normans really didn't integrate very well into Anglo-Saxon culture and were always seen as sort of the, the ruling class for at least another hundred years and sort of like um, almost interracial marriages were kind of seen as unacceptable and I think it was until sort of the late uh, 11th uh, sorry the late 12th century when you know sort of Normans and, and Anglo-Saxons were, were having marriages quite frequently but until then they were entirely you know seen as entirely different peoples despite you know um, the Normans of course ruling over the English. It's not a it's not a major talking point, but it's it's still something worth noting is that um, women at the time or women in the Anglo-Saxon mm. times were very much getting towards which what how they well how they are in today's society that um, they're very much getting towards being equal. They're very yeah. close to bridging egalitarian. That, yeah, they're yeah. very close to uh, bridging that disparity. However, one after the Normans had inv uh, invaded. Uh, they took a major step back and almost uh, fell back and lost a lot of a lot of the standing that they were starting to develop. So I think there was a document that said women's authority is nil. Hmm. They're doing that in one of the lessons yeah. at some point, and so um, and then it, and then it only took another thousand years or so for women to get to get back some sort of equality, didn't it? So I think it, it's hard for for historians to know exactly the role of women thousand years ago but that text definitely says that and there is a theory that that women had more rights under the Ing under the anglo-saxons than they were to do under the normans certainly um, well do you know what uh, well, what we haven't talked about is the uh, briefly mentioned is of course the harrying of the north so when you think how far did england actually change england is a big place as you know and there, there's lots of differences in it so one different places in England 
and as you'd expect, things were affected in different ways. So one way you could set yourself out in an exam that's particularly clever is say, well, if you, it's hard to treat England as a whole because it depended where in England as to how you were affected and how much you were affected. So in the north, of course, after a series of rebellions, William took the drastic step of killing everybody and everything that he could find, knocking things down, doing what was known as the... Harrying of the North. Harrying of the North, exactly. And apparently turned almost a, a thousand square miles into a wilderness. And you know, there's the Doomsday online. I mean, the book that I was reading a lot of these facts from was 1066, A New History of the Norman Conquest by Peter Rex, which I'll put in the, the info in case you're interested, um, if I can work out how that happens. After editing all of the things about me kidnapping people and things. <laughs> um, but I read the Doomsday Online, um, which you can find, just Google Doomsday Online, and search for different places. And you might, you might have cottoned on that this is, a, we're in Yorkshire, it's called opendoomsday.org. So I look for places around here where we're, where we're recording this, which, it, because of the Doomsday book, it, it has a few different things. It's a bit, depends on where it was, but it, it's two basic things in most of the entries. Do you know what those two things were? How valuable the land was in 1066 and then how valuable it was in 1085-6? So it's the value of the land and, this is a really crucial bit, perhaps one reason why William was doing it, who owned the land. I live in a place called Bramham that in 1066 was valued more than any other areas I'm about to talk about, so it must have been a well-to-do place. It was valued at a massive £8. Eight pounds in ten sixty-six, <laughs> but by ten eighty-six it was worth two pound fifty. So that you can see, it's it, it's nearly uh, a quarter of the value that it was twenty years before. So you can imagine that the harrying took place in Bramham. There's also a place you might have heard of called Nairsborough where things were more severe. Six pounds it was worth in ten sixty-six. One pound it was worth by 1086, so the Harry in the North was happening in, in here. This, uh, there's only one entry for the Harrogate area, and it seems to be a place that you may or may not have heard of um, called Rosset. <laughs> anyway, it's valued <laughs> at uh, 1066, uh, 10, it's valued at uh, 50p. Um, Get there's it. no value for 1086, because um, it's a bit random, it doesn't always set yeah. it out in a particular way. But what it does tell you is that in 1066, there was a guy in, who controlled the area known as Rosset, who was called Ulf, just U-L-F. But by 1086, there's a very famous person who controls Rosset, King William. It become the, becomes the King's Land. So it goes from being Ulf's land to being the King's Land. And there's, a, there's reasons why that might have been the case. Why might it have gone from being Ulf's land to... Ulf. This is a buzzer. This is a buzzer thing. Why might I have got? Oh, go on, Sam. Ulf might have been killed or fled. Yes, that might have been. What might have been killed in? The Harry of the North. Could have been the Harry of the North that he was killed in. Yeah. What else could have happened that meant Ulf was no longer there? He'd been abducted by aliens. Abducted <laughs> by aliens. Could be. Uh, potential rebellion. He could have been part of a rebellion and just forfeited his land. Me. Good point. You forgot the buzzer though, but I will I forgive you. I'm not. I go, I go should, and we re, should we re-go over it? Okay. What did, um, is there any other possible suggestions? Oh, yes, Jensen. Uh, could have potentially been in one of the re rebellions. He could have then forfeited his land and gone to, gone to William. That's like deja vu. It, yes. <laughs> um, it could have been that he was um, actually in the fighting in 1066 and 
what William said was, because he had to reward all of his followers, of course, who come across um, across the, the channel to fight at great risk to themselves, he had to reward them. And one thing he did was he gave out the land of any thanes or earls that died in the fighting, and any earls and thanes that had could be proven to have fought against William. And his reasoning was, William said, I am the legitimate king, so you were a traitor. By fighting for Harold Godwinson on his side, who was not the legitimate king, you were being a traitor to your king, i.e. me, and therefore your land is forfeit and I'll give it to my mates, or keep it for myself. All land was, of course, as I already said, all land was William's, and any that was named as somebody else's was only on behalf of William, but he kept some land as his what would call royal domain. So, and because it's only worth 50p, I would imagine that it might be because Rosset would have been a decent place for hunting around here. Perhaps it was a more foresty area at the time. There can't be that many people living there. What do we conclude then? What do we think? Um, I, I do believe that this has enlightened me to the fact that society <laughs> would have, has been a massive, a massive change, uh, changing point. Um, however, I do still stick with the fact that the church and that's alterations would have been one of the biggest changes. Why was it the biggest change? I think there's a very good reason why that might have been seen as the biggest change. I just, I just believe that with the devotion that the majority, or not even the majority, every person would have had in that time period, um, and I think that the the intense control that it really did have over literally everybody um, just proved. Like invaluable. I don't know if it's invaluable or. Well, the fact that everybody was religious, it affects everybody. If the church changes, everybody Everything. is going to be affected. Whereas if we think, uh, the, like the castles we have talked about, but the Normans built a heck of a lot of castles to keep control, and that would have been like a physical reminder of the Norman conquest. Well, that only affected you if you happen to live near where the castles were built, perhaps. The, the, the idea about trade as we were talking about in the south that affects you in the south and if you're in the areas where the Vikings had been before or in the north um, all the different things we've talked about how in the north affects you if you're in the north but the church affected literally everybody so in terms of how much change of uh, how big a change is you can often think about how many people as well as like how much did it change things uh, in terms of how did it change their lives and how they lived and in that one I'd certainly be justifying it by it would affect everybody because everybody went to church. Uh, what do we think then, Sam? What's your conclusion on how far England actually changed? Um, I think I've learned a lot today from Have Jensen. You? Yeah, uh, Jensen in particular. Thank you, Jensen. Uh, no, I was going to say. Um, I not, think. Not me, then. No, well, you know, you you too, but you Jensen forget, in particular. You forget who writes your school reports. <laughs> Have I got another isolation now? Uh, you're oh, well, yeah. well, we're already kidnapped. So yeah, <laughs> there's not really much <laughs> more we can do. Let you out, I'll feed you. <laughs> this was all scripted. Yeah, there's there's no pudding anymore, is there? Um, no, so I'd say that William probably retained all the systems in England that were most sophisticated, and really just exploited them. Uh, I would argue. I, I mean, he went to war with France, didn't he? Only a few years later, after becoming king of it, or, or France declared war on him. So he fought a lot of different wars over in Normandy, which yeah. were paid for by taking money out of England a lot. Yeah, exactly. So I'd say he probably needed to exploit England just to maintain sort of his power. It's own. So Megan, what do you reckon about a great conclusion that we can potentially put in for how far England changed? Well, the extent of change impacted 
the south and north of England because of the economic changes that William made. Would you say that it would affect the north more than the south? Yes, because the value of things would have decreased a lot due to the um, changes to do with trade. The changes to do with trade and also the yeah the harrying of the north that's a that's a fair point and and yeah I'll go I'll go back to my original line of reasoning which I I personally believe that yeah there's a there's a very big and justifiable reason why we start counting kings as in William the first William the second and so forth from this point it was a massive change you know the the, the language of the people in charge was French for the next few centuries and. Um, but what William did is he took a system that was already working. That's why England was so attractive. It was easy to get money out of it. Um, it was easy to take advantage of the systems that, that were there, which is what he did, to keep control and to enrich himself and to pay for things like fancy cathedrals and monasteries in Normandy um, and also wars, which were very expensive. So yeah, I think we feel like England did change a lot and we've looked at religion We've looked at economics, we've looked at harrying, we've looked at control, we've looked at all sorts of different things. Not now! <laughs> right, not you as well! Right, I think that's about, I think we're, we've, we've got through some facts there and uh, we're, we're probably to the end of the episode. Um, One final thing that oh, I yeah, on, add is uh, <laughs> towards the last episode, I believe that I mentioned that I was going to try and find a fact that uh, would oust Sam. And uh, damn, one one that I, I can't I can't take my take credit for myself. In fact, so it was you that told me this uh, prior to recording this. Um, when William built the castles, he in fact made he he made the English build the castles for him, um, which I likened to nowadays with Donald Trump about how he in fact wants the Mexicans to pay for the wall um, so I thought that was a, 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 fair, <laughs> a fair comparison okay. um, so you're taking honest. a bit of information I gave you yeah and translated it into them made it, made it build it. yeah well, and that was also seen as like a, a humiliation for the English as well that they were having to pay not pay to physically build the thing that was keeping them under control so yeah, there we go. Are there any other interesting facts that we need to finish with? No? Brilliant? Yeah. Fantastic. Right, thank you very much for all of your help. You've been magnificent as you have all the way through this. Um, share with your friends, rate it, subscribe, whatever all the other things are that you're supposed to say on these sorts of things. And uh, yeah, shout out to shout out to Jack, who sadly cut me with us, but he was devastated about that. And I'm sure he'll come back for a podcast at this point, but only if he tells me that he listened and then the shout out. So there we go, you have to listen all the way to the end for that. Thanks very much, bye.